What's up meeples, on today's show we strap ourselves in and go into full throttle as we play Downforce. We talk about how the game is played, game components, expansions and what we like and dislike about the game. Along with all your weekly news, Kickstarter campaigns and event information, this is the podcast recorded gaming community. What's up guys, my name is Jason. And I'm Ian. And we are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. So put the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's race on to this week's episode. So this will date our recording a little bit, but this weekend I, I'm a big Formula One fan, and I thoroughly enjoyed a race, even though I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, actually watching another team win for a change. With And a big congratulations to Pierre Gasly for the first win for 146 races that wasn't Red Bull, Mercedes or Ferrari, with him in the AlphaTauri um, winning the Italian Grand Prix. On my um, hype, we decided to play a game of Downforce, our favourite racing game. Indeed it is. I absolutely love this game. It's, it, it plays to my strengths of being nice and simple to learn. Just like Jason. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, Ian... Tell us all about Downforce and why we love it so much. So Downforce is literally li- listed as the game of high stakes speed. It's a, a two to six player racing game. Um, it takes roughly about 30 minutes to play and has an eight plus age rating. The base game comes with a double sided map, six cars, all of different colors, 42 movement cards along with um, six special movement cards and the markers to show which color cards you have and six ability cards with this game the movement cards are dealt out to all the players and these will start the game as your cards to bid with each card can have anywhere from one to six different colors on it and each of those will have a movement value from one to six some cards will have wild cards in the first phase of the game they count as nothing so once a color of car is drawn it will be drawn with an ability and the players have to bid for that car. You play a card from your hand that has that color on it. For example, the card I'm looking at, say black was drawn, this card has black three on it. So that would be me bidding three million for it. If there was a tie and someone else played a card with black three on it, you count how many colors are on the card overall. The card I played had all six colors on it. The other um, card played only had two, which meant I won the round and I won the car. At the end of all the bidding, every player must have at least one car. Once you get to a point where if you were to buy another car, you deny another player, you're no longer allowed to enter the bidding. Once everyone has at least one car and all the teams are decided, the players with multiple cars pick one ability out of the ones they have purchased and we get we get to go racing. Every turn, you play a card from your hand, move all the cards, car, colored cards in order of the card. From top to bottom, the amount of space is shown. If you can't move your car for whatever reason, if the track is blocked, for example, um, you move them as far as you can and um, we um, you keep going till you run out of cards throughout the race there are three yellow lines along the track at these points we have a bidding phase once the first car has crossed one of those yellow lines resolve all of the all of the cars on that card and everyone secretly makes a bid on which car they think is going to win at the end of the race you subtract the amount you spent on purchasing cars 
you score depending on which cars finish if the cars you bet on finished within the top three positions of the race and you gain money for where your cars actually finish in the race from first to sixth and at the end you total all of those up and the player with the most money at the end wins perfect description indeed there ian a really really easy game to play easy concepts to learn and you know that eight plus rating to be honest i my little one has been playing this since he was six years old so i actually think eight plus is it's about right but i think uh you could probably get a little bit younger so it's a great family game six players as well it you know when you start getting into six players the downtime between turns can tend to drag out a little bit but this game doesn't have that there's so much enjoyment so much fun going on and there's plenty of time for you to plan your next next move or your next spiteful act towards your fellow man there are so many strategies involved in this game you don't even have to have your car win to win the entire thing if you've bid low at the start on your cars and you help someone else win to make sure your bets win you can actually outscore some of the other players. You can also position your cars so that no one else can move behind you. We're looking at the gorgeous map. It looks a lot like the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, one of the corners, well, two of the corners, in fact. No. Multiple sections on this track go down to single lane track, meaning if you can park one car at the front of it and other players decide not to move that color, everyone has to build up behind, which means people can catch up. And that's always great fun. Always great fun, especially if you can get that that car that's right out in front and, you know, place two and three, if they're close behind, get them stuck behind it. It gives those the, the people at the back a chance to catch up. So there are plenty of ways, even if you're right at the back of this, it does not mean you're out of the game. Perfect strategy in a perfect world for this game would be if you can get yourself one car and you only pay one million, which is the minimum you pay, if you then manage to bet on yourself the entire race, and come first, you are going to get literally top marks in this game. It's damn near impossible to do that. But I have done it. Indeed he has. I will never let him get away with it again. You just have to try and um, be confident at the start. And if you get other people bidding on, betting on you, it suddenly makes it easier. And I tended, I tend for a while, especially when I'm teaching this game, to bid on myself no matter how dire the first the first corner looks because people then start thinking I know what I'm doing, which they don't, which I, they clearly don't know me well enough. <laughs> um, and then if people, you know, if everyone piles behind one car, that car will just sail into the lead. Often or not, you just watch that car go backwards almost instead, where no one's moving it for you. One last thing we didn't touch on, with the movement cards, I briefly mentioned at the start of this, there are wild cards as well. One extra thing with these to allow you to have more versatility with your hand. There are plenty of cards with a wild five or a wild three on them. Or a wild two, you can move cards, any card of your choice, that movement, as long as it's not already on the card. For example, I'm looking at a card with a green two and a wild five. You could move any car five that isn't green. Yeah, and those wild cards really do work out quite nicely, especially if you run out of your own color cards, but you've got some wild cards in there as well. That really helps to just give you that extra little boost. Another thing that you do get, you don't get it in the two-player games, but every other variant of the game, is each player, when you bid on your car, you get an eight-speed card for your car. So that is your, basically, that's you engaging your, your NOS and, you know, putting <laughs> your DRS onto the onto the old F1 cars there. 
a lot of people do make the mistake of just burning that straight away. I quite like to hold on to it towards the end because people tend to forget that you have it in your hand and they think that they, they've successfully blocked you, but the second you get a bit of an open run, bang, I'm moving eight straight past everyone and straight over the finish line. Awesome stuff. So that's how the game is played. Let's dive into the components of the base game here. As Ian said, we are looking at the nice, clear, very bright and vibrant cartoony interpretation of the Monaco uh, track. You get six plastic F1 style cars, which to be fair, if you were so inclined, you could paint these. Uh, obviously, they are in the, the correct colours for the game. They are pretty good as they are. They have some nice detail on them. They're reasonably well made. Um, I actually think they stand out. They're nice, vibrant colours as well to match what they are. Um, and they all clearly stand out from each other on the racetrack. We've played this with colourblind people and they have coped fine with this. Then you get down to your cardstock of the game. Uh, Ian mentioned that you get 42 movement cards. You get your six um, eight-speed movement cards. You also get your power cards. They're all on the same cardstock. Um, they feel pretty good, pretty average uh, TCG style cardstock, standard size, fit nicely in some uh, in some sleeves, which uh, my one is indeed sleeve. This is a game that sees the table a hell of a lot, so uh, definitely be sleeving those those cards. The other thing to make this nice and um, vibrant and nice and easy to follow is they give you six markers as well. They look like mini coasters, but they're nice thick cardboard markers with a picture of each of the drivers on the um, on the cards. And they are really nice quality, very bright, and really clear who's who. Now, one thing we were actually talking about just before we went live here is actually the board. Now, the board is fantastic. The quality is really amazing. The board edges are actually sealed on, on this board because they wrap around the image ever so slightly. doesn't affect the opposite side, but it just means that there is literally no way any kind of liquid is going to get in there and make the game swell. Um, it also helps to prevent the artwork from peeling away from the base, from the cardboard as well. I'd like to say these maps do survive fairly well to water damage. We did have an incident with a beer at one of my um, board gaming events. This was the game that suffered from it. And it, there was no, you can hardly tell that there was ever an incident at all. Quick wipe down, um, tiny bit of damage, which you'll get regardless. But th these these boards held up really well to, um, you know, that, the incident that day. Yeah, it was a it was real heart-wrenching moment when uh, when that happened. But... The board stood up really well, and it does stand a test to the quality of this board. So top marks to uh, Restoration Games and ILO for that one. Okay, so we've just uh, paused the recording for a bit there, and we've actually flipped over the game board to have a look at the other side now. And what we're looking at now, as Ian just pointed out, it looks like a cartoonized interpretation of the Belgium track some lovely forests on the outside it's a much greener a very vibrant board again but it makes it nice and clear between the two boards um that there you know there is a difference this is a slightly easier board to run on there are less places to pile behind each other and get stuck uh it's a bit of a neater map but they're both very good for this artwork on the on these boards although they are not the most stunning artworks in the in the world these are fantastic interpretations of essentially real life tracks I've just noticed that uh, they've they've actually put a field on the on the side of the track here, which is perfect size for the cards. It's almost like they planned it for a discard pile, Jason. Yeah, exactly. I've never noticed that before. Last component, 
that we haven't mentioned yet. You get a pack of paper within the um, get game itself that have your betting cards on them. So um, it shows all six color cards with your auction price, your three different bets, and then it neatly lays out your betting payouts and your racing payouts and gives you a final scoring bit along the bottom. So yeah, that's all of the components that you get in the base game of Downforce. So we're going to move on now and talk about what we like about this game. And trust me, there's a lot. And we're also going to talk about things that we dislike. And trust me, there's not a lot. No. <laughs> so let's kick things off with the positives of this game. What is it that we really like about Downforce? For a very quick game, there is a lot of options and strategy available. From the moment you're bidding all the way through to um, the final corner of working out how you know what order even the last few places do. There's a monetary value for everything bar last place. So it might even you might not win, but it might make the difference to whether you're second, third, fourth. One of the options in the rule book as well is to continue like doing multiple tracks so that you can turn this into a competitive sort of scenario almost. Indeed, yes. We've been saying it over and over and over again. There's so much fun and versatility to this game. It doesn't matter if you're lost. I've been lost in this game many, many times, but I've enjoyed every single second of it. Yep. Things that I can say I really like about the game, I love the movement in this game. I like the fact that no, you, you could have no cards with your colour car on it whatsoever, but it doesn't mean your car's going to sit there for the entire game because all the other players are going to have colours on their cards that is going to be moving your car for you. Yep, and the wild cards also come into play. So this game is very well balanced on if you get stuck with a car, you know, bid on a car that you didn't particularly want or anything, you know, you can still win this race and you can still have a lot of fun. Another thing I love about this, and it's a very childish thing, but it's right up my alley. There's nothing more fun than actually physically driving your cars along the spaces. <laughs> I'm sure Jason can attest to me on this as well. Without a doubt. It, 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 nothing like returning to your childhood and uh, and playing with your micro-machine cars, which, yeah, micro-machine cars will work well on this. Hint, hint. I mean, even the spaces on the board are nice and chunky, you know, with these relative-sized models. They give lots of variation for what you can use playing with this, but they fit nicely on the board. One of the things I really like about the game when we talk about the versatility of the game are the abilities that you get when you're bidding on your cars. Um, I have them here in my hand and just to, to run through a couple of them for you. Um, as I said, there's six in the base game, but just two of them, for example, will give you a rough idea of how it can change the game. So the first one I got here is strategic. Uh, and the ability is if you play a speed card with all six colors on it, you may ignore one color on it. It sounds simple. But that could be, if you were to use that right at the end, that could be the difference between you coming first and second. Or, if you know Jason only has one colour, it's a good way of annoying him. <laughs> people love to do that in this game. But uh, that, you know, when, when people do that to me, it leaves me really determined. And that leads me on very nicely into the second card I have here, which is called, you guessed it, Determined. The player ability on that one is... On any player's turn, and this one I love, on any player's turn, if your car moved into only rectangular spaces, you may move it an additional two spaces. Now that one really comes into its own on the map that we are currently looking at right now. There is... I reckon about two thirds of the board is straight. So yeah, that, that card really just comes into its own, or on this board especially, but uh, 
it, it really does work because most of the boards do have a, a very large amount of nice long straight sections so you're going to have plenty of those rectangles for determined to come into its own so that should give you a rough idea of just how how different the abilities are within this game and that's another thing that i love about downforce does bring me on to my first negative for downforce though is the base game don't come with a lot of choice for the abilities in a six player game all six abilities on the base game will be used so you mentioned about versatility putting a couple more in so that every you know for replayability they start to fix this with the expansions the first expansion as we'll come to shortly gives you another six of them but it would have been nice had there been just a few more in the base game yeah yeah i would agree with that that's that's a pretty fair comment another thing that's pretty good i really do like the score sheets that it comes with but that actually leads me on to my first negative and it's it's a very niggly negative the score sheets are really nice as they are however you get a of them in the game and this game sees the table so much for us and especially if you're using six a time for a six player game you're going to run out of them really really quickly i already have and uh, it's very hard to actually come by new avert you know new reprints of these so what would have been slightly better maybe a dry wipe yeah whiteboard uh, whiteboard and whiteboard pens we've seen them used in multiple others of our games which is why i think we've jumped straight towards that um this is one of those games where i think that would have worked quite well because those are far easier to replace you know a new a new whiteboard pen and a few um pieces of cloth are far easier to replace than entire written pads or printing out lots of nicely brightly colored sheets of paper yeah indeed Although there are some out there that you can get and you could probably just scan these in and, and print some more. It just saves there that hassle. Sheet, there are sheets readily available online, but it's the printing. The print, you know, even printing yourself can get pricey. Okay, so that, that we're going to leave it there for the base game because we have some more positives coming, but we're going to touch on the first expansion that came with this now. We're going to move over onto Danger Circuit. So Danger Circuit expansion comes with two maps. The first one is the Crosstown Speedway. This map is based off of like a nighttime city circuit, almost like the Singapore Grand Prix, except the Singapore Grand Prix doesn't cross over itself nearly as much as this one does. And again, I love the attention to detail on this map. This is probably mine and Jason's favorite map. Um, Both the loops, you can cause blocks fairly easy with four cars on the loop, meaning the other two haven't got a hope in hell. But also, this is the track that has almost like... Um, out of the th- when it goes into three lanes it splits one of the lanes off on its own so this is where we get our multi-car pile-ups that we were on about earlier in the podcast it's so much fun to pile someone right up to the end corner and then no one move it because everyone you filter everyone behind and there's nowhere to go exactly yeah ian ian spot on on with what he said there this is without doubt my favorite map you've got the two crossover loops which just adds in so much chances for douchebaggery and one of them is literally right after the first corner on the first map. So you know all of those cars are going to be so close together that you're just going to cause catastrophic mayhem. So yeah, great fun to be had there. A lot of spitefulness could be had there as well. Another thing that comes with this expansion, as Ian alluded to earlier, is the six new ability cards. And my god, do they add some awesome stuff to the game. Once again, I will go through a couple of them for you just to highlight what some of them might be. First one that we have here is Tough. On a any player's turn, if your car ends its movement in a space adjacent to a rumble strip, you may move it two additional spaces. So that is a play on the original one that we talked about in the in the base game. The next one Jason's going to talk about is something he certainly isn't. 
and that's experience. <laughs> Indeed. The only time that I am an experienced person is when I have this card on my bench. And on this card it says, On any player's turn, if any car starts its movement in a space directly ahead of your car, you may move your car into the space that that car moved out of. A lot more text on that one. But that is another ability that could work really nicely and could be a game changer. And honestly, that shows literally the most complicated ability. So it shows how simple this game actually is. Complicated enough to add some complexity and a little bit of versatility to the game, as we've already said, but easy enough for everyone to understand. Again, talking about components, I know this is literally just a board and six cards, but there's so much attention to detail when they've made these. The places where the betting strips are are nicely placed on both um, loops and after the first um, douchebaggery single lane track. And there's even attention to detail. We mentioned about the discard pile being nicely in the, nicely placed on the last map. They've designed this one to look like a basketball court, you know, as, as if it's still in the cityscape. Yeah, and once again, it's another thing that I hadn't noticed in all the amount of times that we've played this game. Switching the board over, we find the second map of the expansion pad, which is called Switchback Pass, which is a canyon map. And this one really does add some even more versatility to the game because there's a lot more rules that are introduced into this map. At no point on this track is there a single section of track. You know, there's no one space. Every single part of this track is at least too wide. However, it does introduce a new type of track, doesn't it, Jason? It does indeed. It in introduces damage track. So, Ian, this isn't a map that we get to see the table very often because obviously this one comes with the extra rules. If we're ever introducing a new player to the game, we try and steer clear of this one. But can you remember exactly how the damage track works? So the damage track basically is a half-sized track that you cannot end your turn on. So... Whereas one space on the normal section, effectively making it single track, you can still overtake if you have the right amount of spaces, but it, it will take at least three spaces to jump, you know, jump ahead to the car in front. That's right, yeah. And you, it, it, it's pretty good. They're not like, uber cruel with the rules on this. If you are controlling an opponent's car, you are not actually allowed to deliberately go into a damage track area unless you are forced to. And when we say by force to, as Ian said, if you want to overtake a car on a two-strip road and the only way to do that is to go into the damage track, that is the only time you are permitted to do so. And you must not end your turn in the damage track. Exactly. So that's it, really, for the complexity of that. So although we say it adds a little bit of complexity to the game, it's not complicated. No, it's just a case of when you're trying to get used to the movement mechanics the block mechanics the last thing you need is like why are these pieces of track either so tiny that you can't fit a car on or yeah having to explain that straight away when you're trying to explain the game mechanics in the first place this is the map to upgrade to and as i said it's not a difficult jump but it's not the sort of thing you tend to want to teach someone on yeah completely agree with that but um for the, for the experienced players like like both of us where we've played this game countless amounts of times this game or this board actually adds a real element of fun and to be honest for me every time i think about it i think of uh, radiator springs and, and there is a reason i think of radiator springs so i'm sure we've mentioned it before and it will get mentioned in a future episode as well i love my cars disney cars films and i have been fortunate enough to collect little tiny diecast miniatures um for 
Disney cars for a long time. They happen to be the perfect size to mimic this these, this game. You can replace all of the cars in this game with those cars minis, which we do frequently, which makes a map that looks like Radiator Springs even more themed when you're running it around with Lightning McQueen and the gang um, as your different colored cars, because there's plenty for each color. And it's one of those times that if you're ever playing a game with me and we're playing with those Disney cars, you can guarantee I'm going to be bidding high on orange because there is nothing better than playing as mater and making him drive backwards <laughs> and whenever we play in the pit uh, in the pit lane guido is always sitting there pit stop <laughs> who doesn't love playing as i mean there's a blue car in this you can always have guido going around <laughs> guido winning a winning an f1 race how about that forklift truck for the win <laughs> That is Downforce. That's the components of the boxes that we have here. We Obviously, we alluded to a new expansion that is coming later this year, hopefully, possibly early 2021, uh, which will be the Wild Ride expansion. There is no details whatsoever as to what is coming in that map. My guesstimate is it's going to be a city map, and I can only imagine what, ty- you know, what type of uh, fun and games they're going to have for us installed on that map. And my guess as well is we'll get another new six new power cards to in- impress us with as well. Indeed. If they can make this an even bigger game as well, like maybe give us another six cars. Twelve-player <laughs> downforce. So that is Downforce. As we have said countless amounts of times, we absolutely love this game. There are very, very few negatives that we can ever find on these games that we love. And there's a reason we love them. But now what we're going to do is it's time to talk about news. It's time to talk about Kickstarters. And it's time to talk about events. So we're going to hand over. Some say he won a Formula One race with a bus. And that he drives so fast that he ages backwards. All we know is he's called Paul. Over to you, Paul. Ah, downforce. Not played it, but I remember the days before being locked in here that I'd be on the open road, window down, wind rushing through my hair and my beard, to now sitting in this shed with the only breeze coming from the draught under the door and the unfortunate blustery conditions of that dodgy curry those two made me last week. Anywho, the news. First up is an update of sorts on the story I brought to your attention back at the beginning of August and that was surrounding the trademark filed for HeroQuest Legacies. Yep, Restoration Games had filed for the classified trademark for HeroQuest Legacies for its use in relation to board, tabletop miniatures, card and dice games. But what has sprung up over the past few days has been a website over at Avalon Hill Games Incorporated. The website boasts the now famous HeroQuest logo, what looks like an updated Chaos Sorcerer from the original game pointing at you, and besides him, a clock counting down. The countdown clock is set to finish at 5pm British summertime on the 22nd of September with what should inevitably be an announcement on the subject. Founded in 1952, Avalon Hill Games, formerly the Avalon Game Company, specialises in war games and strategic board games, with titles under its belt like Axis and Allies, the Betrayal series, as well as some Risk variants and a Stratego variant known as Stratego Legends. Avalon Hill Games was bought by the one and only Hasbro back in 1998, who then gave control of it over to one of its own subsidiaries, Wizards of the Coast, in 2004. Although a recent announcement tells us that Hasbro will take back full control of Avalon Games in January 2021. 
So what can we discern from this? Are we getting two separate games, HeroQuest and HeroQuest Legacies, as we'll be doing with another of our recent stories for Masters of the Universe? Or are we in fact talking about the same game, with some backdoor licensing going on? What do you think is happening? Well, it looks like we shall find out during the afternoon of the 22nd of September. With a plethora of video games making their jump to a tabletop recently, with the likes of Fallout, XCOM, Space Invaders and Civilization to name a few, well the latest to march its way out of the screen and available for pre-order now is Devil May Cry, or more accurately a game based on the bloody palace game mode from Devil May Cry 5. In this very miniature heavy game from Steam Forged Games, who have already brought us board game interpretations of Horizon Zero Dawn, Dark Souls and Resident Evil, you and up to three of your friends can take the Devil Hunters V, Shadow, Nero and Dante to the table as you build up attacking combos of hacks and slashes against an ever-growing and more powerful horde of monsters and demons. Your aim is to outscore your fellow Devil Hunters, as not only kills gain you points, but the stylish way you take out the hordes will count too. Three expansions are also planned for release at the same time, Walking Arsenal, Alpha and Omega, and Devil Trigger. All these expansions add two new characters and plenty more miniatures. But I warn you now that not only is it a miniature heavy game, it does come with a hellishly high price point, and that's before we add in the expansions. With the base game set at £94.99, yep you heard me, £94.99, and the three expansions available as a bundle at a whopping £134.99. You're looking at a hefty dent in your bank account. As I said, pre-orders are up now on the Steam Forged website for release on the 26th of October. Something very unusual has been happening across the gaming industry of late as companies have been receiving mysterious postcards over the course of a few days. Each postcard is a black line drawing of a metropolitan scene and on the back the recipient's address and only a hashtag saying hashtag Mima 20. That's it. What came to pass is that the images on the postcards appear to form a larger image. When laid out, and on closer inspection, a single figure seems to be making his way across the images. He crops up in one image, can be seen loading money into a bag in the next, only to be robbed at gunpoint in the image after. That gentleman is then seen disposing of the gun, and later changing his disguise. The industry's flummoxed. They don't know where they're coming from, who they're from, and what their intentions are. Is this a novel marketing ploy for a new game? Someone playing their own game. What do you think? Yet another mystery I shall leave you with. Over to Kickstarter now. We've got a double hit from Pandasaurus Games this week as both Dinosaur World, the follow-up to 2017's Dinosaur Island, and a new Roll and Write game based on Dinosaur Island entitled Raw and Write, both heading for Kickstarter on the 22nd of September. In Dinosaur World, the triumph of science that led to dinosaurs returning to the world on Dinosaur Island has become public knowledge. New parks spring up regularly, often beginning operations even before everything has been finalised. There is no shortage of patrons eager to be entertained by these returned species in new and exciting ways. So draft cards to acquire new workers, spend workers to take actions building or improving your park and acquiring DNA, then drive your jeep around experiencing the wonder and excitement of what you have built. However, as with any form of entertainment, elements of triumph are often accompanied by elements of tragedy, which is where you win and lose points. 
This means it is of the utmost importance that you take every precaution by ensuring each visitor signs the safety waiver before enjoying the wonders of Dinosaur World. Dinosaur Island, raw and write, is as it sounds, a roll and write version of the critically acclaimed game Dinosaur Island. Raw and write is a unique game in which players draft dice and then use those drafted dice as workers in a worker placement phase. Then a fun polyomino puzzle ensues as you try and fit all your attractions and dinosaurs into your park while building roads and routes to the exits for bonus points. At the end of the game, have more victory points than your opponents to win. Simple. You are still making dinosaurs, hiring specialists and trying to create the most exciting park as you can, trying to keep it moderately safe at least. Each game the specialists available to hire will be different, as will the special buildings that you can fit into your park. This means 100% of the games will be completely unique and different, allowing for infinite replayability. Now, the 7th Citadel is yet another follow-up game to the 2017 game 7th Continent but will take place in a unique dark fantasy world whose gameplay will be significantly enhanced compared to that of its predecessor. In the 7th Citadel, a solo or cooperative choose-your-own-adventure exploration, you choose a character and begin your adventure on your own or with a team of other explorers. Inspired by the Fighting Fantasy Books series, you will discover the extent of this new land through a variety of terrain and event cards. In a land fraught with danger and wonders, you have to use every ounce of wit and cunning to survive. Craft tools, weapons and shelter to ensure your survival. Just like its predecessor, the 7th Citadel features an easy saving system so that you can stop playing at any time and resume your adventure later on. Just like in a video game. Right, let's see about some events. Well, with the announcement from the government last week, it has put a dampness on what we were hoping would be a welcome return to face-to-face -to -face gaming. But things may be afoot that mean we can, in fact, meet as intended. Although, personally, us here at Mid-Sussex Meeples are waiting to hear back from our hall owners and its parent association as to whether we can start using the hall on the 20th as planned. But as of recording, no news yet. But that may well have changed by the time this airs, so go check out midsussexmeeples.co.uk or our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram feeds for the latest information. If you're wondering how we can meet when the government are saying the opposite, it comes down in part to what they are calling COVID secure locations, meaning risk assessments have been carried out, precautions are in place to best protect those attending, entrance numbers are restricted based on the size of the premises, allowing for safe social distancing, and with entrants being asked to wear masks and shields at all times, as the one metre rule expresses. I know this may not still alleviate some attendees' worries, but we completely understand that. But suffice to know, as and when we do return, and you return, all measures are in place for your safety and well-being. So with all being said, my event down in Burgess Hill for Mid-Sussex Meeples on the 20th is still in limbo as I record this, but who knows where we'll be when the podcast goes to air. The Crawley Gaming Club, along with Pound Hill Gamers, are able to host their weekly events at the comic shop in Crawley on Wednesday evenings from 6pm until 10pm at £3 a head, but still no word on their Monday and Friday evening sessions. Apologies to Dave over in Lewis for misspeaking the club name last week. I'm going to make up for it now by saying it twice. Lewis Board Gaming Club and Trinity Gaming Cafe, and I'll say that again, Lewis Board Gaming Club and Trinity Gaming Cafe, 
made a welcome return last week with a great turnout and plenty of games played by the looks of it. They are definitely back on the 24th of September with the possibility of going weekly after their history of 1st, 3rd and 5th Thursdays of each month. That's at the Trinity Church in Arbinger Place in Lewis. That brings the news from the shed to an end for another week. I bid you all farewell and hope to see some of you this weekend in Burgessil if all goes to plan. If not, stay safe and well and we shall meet again soon. Bye bye for now. Thanks for that fast and furious news there, Paul. Now it's time to go back into the pit lane and lock yourself away in the CGC news shed. And with that bombshell, out comes the safety car. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us this week, guys. We hope you've had a good good time. Listen to us talking about one of our favourite games, Downforce. Do you like the sound of the game? Is it a game that you would like to try This is definitely one that we will be taking along to the events that are now back up and running. We've really enjoyed seeing you guys again. It's been great to actually game in person. Most definitely. It's been a long time coming and I'm glad we can start this back up again under the safety conditions. Without a doubt. I mean, that that's the key thing I would say here, guys, is like, it's great to see you again. Let's not lose that. Just make sure you're using your common sense. We all play complex games. We all have common sense. It's time to make sure we use it. Stick to the safety precautions and let's keep the game clubs alive. Let's keep them open and let's keep gaming. If you did like what we talked about here today, guys, you can give us a big thumbs up, a review, a like, a share or whatever it is that you have to do on all of these podcast platforms. You can find us on our YouTube channel as well. Give us a subscribe, give us a like, give us a dislike and whack a comment down there. Trust me, it really does help, even if you put something negative. And we will still have the Discord server. You know, with the clubs running back up, it may not quite be so regular. We might, we're going to have to have a think about that one. But you can always drop us a message. We're always chucking stuff on there and having a good laugh and you know, good time with each other still online as well. If you would like to talk to us, if you want to contact us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter just by searching for the podcast with Cruelty Gaming Community. You can email us at cruelty at gmail.com. That's all from us this week, guys. We are going to close this one down. Unless, Ian, have you got anything else you want to add? Let's grab the champagne and the flowers and then celebrate this victory. Fantastic idea. Let's break out the bubbly. Let's go on the podium. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you very much for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.